made it sound like uh, you dated her once and she wasn't that great, but she, like, fucked good. Radio Drome. Welcome to a very dated episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the great rape ape himself. Yeah, got my got my bell bottoms on. Oh, you're going full on, huh? Okay, fine. <laughs> sure, why not? Cosplay in the seventies. And Cecil the seventies suck Trachtenberg. I am not wearing any like bell bottoms or anything. I'm actually wearing like Darth Vader pajama pants. That's seventies. Star Wars. Yeah, seven. That, that's late seventies, but that's science yeah, fiction. We're gonna technically. Talk, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna talk nineteen seventies horror. But first, you guys need to go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME. D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. And also, if this is the internet. You kind of need a digital condom, and that's where NordVPN comes in. If you go to 1201beyond.com backslash DromeVPN, you can get 75% off of a three-year plan, and Nord will help encode your data. It'll help you get around region locking. It'll protect you on the Internet. You really need a VPN, especially if you're going to be going to some of the shadier places in the Internet that we like to go to. Have to first visit 1201beyond.com backslash DromeVPN. Use that link, and then for only $3.49 a month, you will can get digital protection, the digital condom that is Nord. So that said, let's talk about 1970s horror. Because each decade of horror, especially, they all feel different. And I'm not just talking the visuals and the hairstyles. Because horror, and science fiction, I guess, more than any other kind of film kind of feeds off what's going on in the country at the time or going on in the world that they feed off what's contemporary science fiction might all, might look a little bit into the future of that but horror tends not to when it comes to 1970s horror when you think of horror what kind of subgenre jumps out at you for 1970s horror Usually, I mean, I, I, I want to say like the kind of the beginning of the slasher, like we had the, uh, you know, we had Halloween, we had, uh, Black Christmas. I think the, was, the, I think the burning was, I think the burning started filming in the seventies, but didn't, wasn't out until the eighties, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that the founding birth of the slashers is really a lot of what I think of in the seventies. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. I kind of the same thing. Um, I associate seventies horror with a lot of the early, early workings of slasher stuff, particularly like, like giallo kind of stuff, like, uh, movies like Torso and things like that. Um, the sort of sleazier early slasher films, Bay of Blood, just a lot of those like great little Mario Bava kind of flicks are what I always think of when it comes to seventies. And of course, American versions of it that were starting to come into play, like uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like Halloween. I know a lot of people associate the 70s with more of the supernatural kind of stuff, like, uh, you know, 
Ex- Exorcist and, and films like this, but uh, for me, it's always been more of the, the super sleazy giallo slashers that would eventually become the the cornerstone of, of American slasher cinema in the 80s. To me, it goes sort of the opposite. I think of The Drive-In, because I'm a little older than you guys. I think of The Drive-In stuff. You got, you know, the Ted V. Michaels and the Al Adamsons, George Romero, a lot of his stuff was drive-in stuff in the 70s. You had a lot of the Hammer stuff. Those were very drive-in movies. I always think of Incredible Two-Headed Transplant, that kind of thing. To me, the 70s was the drive-in kind of movie, that that low-budget, Technicolor crap, basically. Because you had the drive-ins also, or the 50s and all that. But to me, it's the drive-in Technicolor crap. Films like uh, The Blob Lives and whatnot. I think you mean Beware the Blob. Beware the blob. I always call it the blob lives. But that's that's a very seventies uh, drive-in movie. Well, you see, I, I, I'm more like uh, also seventies the Satan movies. God, there were so yeah, many Satan movies in seventies, man. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, beware the Satan cults, uh, Satan cult movies and whatnot. That was a thing. Also, like a lot of uh, biker and Charles Manson cult exploitation. A films. lot of those. Well, yeah. there was there was the combination of all that with werewolves on wheels. <laughs> where they took the bike, they took the biker movies, they took werewolf movies, and they took satanic cult and drive-in movies, movies and merged it all into one. And drive, yeah, and drive-ins. So where they stumbled upon a satanic cult, cursed the bikers, and turned them into werewolves. That was a wild one. At the beginning of the decade, it's actually a pretty weak year for 1970. Because okay, you you got the you got the Jess Franco movies, which. Come on, those didn't really do a whole lot for anybody. You have the first Count Yorga move. Again, not much. You've got stuff like the Dunwich Horror and Equinox. Okay. And then you've got the Hammer stuff. you got, like, Horror of Frankenstein, Taste the Blood of Dracula, Scars of Dracula, stuff like that. But other than that, there's just, like, Herschel Gordon Lewis's Wizard of Gore. You've got Dark Shadows moving from television to movies with House of Dark Shadows. And that's pretty much it. 1970 was kind of a weak year for horror. There was some good stuff, but not like we're going to see as we move through the decade. Well, it was an era that was beginning. So obviously you're going to have some experimental stuff, some stuff that's left over from the 60s. There were some uh, interesting ideas that were coming out. You Obviously, you had Herschel Gordon-Lewis's Wizard of Gore, which I personally think is a pretty good one. I, I enjoyed that one quite a bit. But it was uh, it was a time that was that was beginning. They were, they were playing around with stuff, and the '60s were ending, and the '70s were beginning, and we were we were yet to really go full fledged into the you know Manson cult inspired stuff, and we were going to see some much crazier stuff coming about Italy, and uh, it may have started out weak, but it was it was about to find its uh, its its full steam ahead. I think in general, uh, the 70, like 1970 specifically, there were more horror movies that came out of like Spain and Italy. You, yeah. You had a your, lot of Europeans. Your yeah. You know, uh, you, Philippines, you had the Curse of the Vampires. And it just, it, it wasn't really the big ones that were settling in in the U.S. just just yet with the exception of maybe um the uh the dunwich horror which i still think is really good but a lot of the uh a lot of the more memorable horror films specifically from the 70s were coming from outside of the u.s well that actually would continue for quite a while the philippines and spain i mean we always think of italy and you know england with the hammer movies and stuff like that the philippines and spain kicked out a ton of horror movies in the early 70s, kind of 
after we after about 1974, they couldn't really compete anymore. But then, like in 1971, we have a lot better year here. We've got you know Vincent Price and the original Abominable Doctor Fives. You've got more Al Adamson stuff with like Brain of Blood. One of my personal favorites. I love the Struther Martin LQ Jones Brotherhood of Satan. I, I don't know why. I just I love that movie. I love this tone of it. You've got like Dario Argento's Cat O Nine Tales. You've got Corpse Grinders going to Ted V. Michaels again. The really weird Daughters of Darkness. Belgium. Out of, out of nowhere, I guess Belgium wanted to throw their hat into this ring. You've got I Drink Your Blood, another one of Peter's favorites. Because <laughs> they, what did they do? Eat Your Skin in 70 and then I Drink Your Blood in 71 and pretend yeah. it was a double feature? God, see, you see why I fucking hate this movie? <laughs> it's bullshit. It's, there, there are people I have arguing with me on that video. It's like, well, it was meant to be a double feature with uh, I Eat Your Skin from the, the, the 50s and the 60s to like, the, the like, uh, culty, like, uh, black and white movie. It's like, well, they don't show any of that footage from that movie in the trailer. They promote it as, I drink your blood and I eat your skin. It's meant to, it, it's trying to tell you that two movies, one about hippie serial killers and one is about like zombies. It's one movie and every single gore scene is in the trailer. F- that movie to death. But then you also have interesting stuff like, you have Boris Karloff basically realizing his career is over with Isle of the Snake People, which I actually enjoy as a movie, but it's not one of a highlight for Boris Karloff. You got Japan falling in here with the, I actually really enjoy Lake of Dracula. Mm. You've got the really weird crap like Let's Scare Jessica to Death. You've got uh, another Dark Shadows movie. You have Night of Dark Shadows now. You have the equally weird Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave, which... I I think it was is either that one or Let's Scare Jessica to Death that Spielberg said was one of his biggest inspirations. Huh. Drive in stuff like Octoman or Dracula versus Frankenstein, oh, you know, Lon Chaney Jr.'s, yeah, or you got more Count Yorga movies, you got the biker movies kicking up again with Psychomania. You have the seriously underrated Simon King of the Witches. You have the awesome touch of Satan, the Velvet Vampire. Cecil will appreciate the original Willard, and then there's Werewolves on Wheels, 1971. Venturing out a little bit, and the thing um, with Willard, which is something that um, I brought up a couple weeks ago when I did the video on frogs, was that Willard was such a hit. Like, no one expected this movie about a a kid and a, a rat to blow up as big as it did consequently started a lot of animals attack movie a lot of animals attack movies got greenlit like frogs because of that food of the gods and frogs and all those movies we have willard to thank which is funny because willard wasn't really an animals attack movie it was a more of a character study of this kid who was just deeply disturbed and it became a genre unto itself and then ben ended up being a little bit more of what i think the studios thought that willard was but it was interesting and i, I like that something like something that small would have an impact and go on and make so many other different varieties of films Definitely a banner year for this kind of stuff, for exploitation movies, for horror movies, uh, particularly with, uh, we started to see more biker movies, more instant exploitation movies, just more very crazy movies like, uh, Psychomania is, uh, one of my personal favorites. I love that one. That's got such a fun vibe to it. Just a great year. Great year for horror from, uh, across the board, not just from overseas, but, uh, in the States as well. Just, just a good year. 
Well, you also saw something, you gotta remember, Vietnam is still going on at this point, and there's a lot of backlash against Vietnam, and because horror tends to reflect what's happening in the world, you'll notice a lot of 1971 and, and then 1972 movies. Even though they might not reference Vietnam or that kind of thing, there's a lot of pushback against the establishment, against the system. That was very much of its time. Sort of, the hippies were kind of dying out, but there was like a, a second wave of hippie movement, and you really did see that in the films, I think. Like Manson cult-style movies, biker movies, uh, just a lot of that kind of stuff was coming out, and it was being infused into the horror genre. Even films like Where, you know, Werewolves on Wheels was, was very, like, hippie, bikers, guys with big beards and denim jackets, that kind of stuff. It was the, it was beginning to become the, the big aesthetic of that time. But then as we go into 1972, things are starting to change. For instance, we get our first black exploitation horror movie now. Arguably, what I think is the best, not just one of the best black exploitation movies. I like black exploitation. God, do I love Blackula. Blackula is such an amazing movie. And you start to see more of the other subgenres of exploitation also having horror movies. It's sort of strange. But besides that, you've got the Beware the Blob that Peter mentioned earlier. You had Ben, the sequel to Willard. You've got like the asylum you've got blood orgy of the she devils from ted michaels which i don't really like the movie but that's a fantastic title you've got oh god blood waters of dr z we talked about that a few weeks ago with the creature from the black lagoon stuff <laughs> you got bob clark's death dream which is pretty good you have remember sequels were not a big thing at this point but you've got dr fives too with dr fives rises again you've got more hammer stuff with like dracula ad 1972 yeah jess franco jess franco making his horror porns with like the erotic experiences of frankenstein frogs which i think is fantastic except it's mistitled because frogs don't i don't remember call the frogs actually killing anyone <laughs> I think well, the, every other every other animal but frogs kill there, someone in that movie. There's two problems with the movie. The first was what I pointed out was that yeah, I mean the frogs don't end up killing anybody except for they they end up killing the the old guy at the end. And the other thing, what a lot of people pointed out to me, which I had no idea, apparently the majority of the frogs are really toads. It's an AIP movie. Do you expect them to be accurate? <laughs> apparently, though, the thing was what I the frogs were controlling the other creatures to kill everything. Yeah, they were, so, like, they were like telekinetic or something, weren't they? Yeah, they were the bosses. And they were making everybody else do the hard work until they got to the old guy and then they jumped all over him and they killed wanted him. To, that, Fight that, the power! That, they Fight wanted, the power! Uh, they wanted to f*** some shit up. Yeah, they wanted to bust it up and they, you know, they didn't even kill him though. They just jumped all over him until he had a heart attack. <laughs> But then 1972 also gave us what I consider one of the greatest horror movies of the 70s and has no right to be, and that's Horror Express. That Spanish movie with Telly Savalas, Christopher Lee, and Peter Cushing, whether it meant to or not, really feels like a Hammer film. And I, I think I think Horror Express is a genuinely great film that is just overlooked because, oh, it's one of those public domain movies you get every Halloween on, you know, 50-cent DVD. Yeah, but it's really, really good, too. Great film, uh, as well as uh, a lot of the other a lot of the other movies that came out this year. Uh, 72 is when the 70s, I feel like, really began to feel like the 70s. The Blob sequel is a super 70s movie, very, like, experimental, hippie kind of stuff, uh, Horror Express, really, really cool. 
another another great year. Another great year for horror across the board with 1972. Frogs, of course, the the only uh the truly scary part about frogs is seeing Sam Elliott without a mustache. Like that's that's disturbing. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. But then we we also have stuff like Rene Cardona Jr.'s House of a Thousand Cats, which that move and Ray Cardona Jr. can go fuck himself. Oh, is that the he one really with, murders uh, cats? Hugo Stiglitz on killing real cats. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He they they, they really kill real cats in that, yeah, movie. Fuck that movie. And I can't uh, fuck that fuck film. Them. But we also have kind of fun ones like. Night of the Lepus is 1972. <laughs> and I don't care how scary we're told these bunnies are. They're so cute. They're adorable. I would lay down and I, let rabbits just, bunnies just jump all over me. Absolutely. Like, how, how yes. Are you not, like, you gotta, like, the people that are laying there, oh, and I'm like, how are they not like, <laughs> oh, bunnies. <laughs> But 1972 also gave us the birth of a new genre, the cannibal genre with Man from Deep River. And Berto Lenzi, I mean, okay, maybe this isn't technically the first cannibal movie, but it, in what we would consider the cannibal subgenre, Man from Deep River is one of the first, and it's a graphic as shit one, too. Oh, they're rough, for sure. And I wouldn't say that was the first one, but it might have been one of the first, like, like graphic, uh, disturbing ones. Cause I mean, we had like Amazonian type movies in, in the fifties and sixties, I'm pretty sure, but it wasn't until the seventies where they latched onto that aesthetic of it's like disturbing and like gratuitous too. But then everything changes in 1973. Cause first of all, we get some more black exploitations. We've got Blackenstein, not nearly as good as Blackula. I'm sorry, guys. Great title, at least. It, it's true, but we all, but we also do get the actual sequel to Blackula and Scream, Blackula Scream, which you can tell that they just shit this one out because Blackula was such a hit. It was like, get another one out and you get it out now, but we don't have a script. Shoot it now. That, that's what Scream, Blackula Scream feels like. It's enjoyable and it's got Pam Greer, but God, it's not nearly as good as, as the first one. But you also get stuff like mm. Ivan Reitman's Cannibal Girls, which is his first movie. You've got Blood Blood for Dracula, the Andy Warhol, Udu Kier, oh, and now yeah. the screaming starts. Children shouldn't play with dead things. Romero is back with the crazies, which, okay, the movie is very dated in how it's shot. I think the crazies is a fantastic film. Flesh for Frankenstein, the Paul Morrissey, again, Udu Kier. I think it's this one where he has sex with the wound in, in someone's chest. I, I can't remember if that's the one or... Or not. You've got, you've got Ganja and Hess, Legend of Hellhouse, the thoroughly underrated Messiah of Evil, which is a movie I cannot recommend enough. It's one of those slow burn movies that's more about the visuals and the atmosphere and tone than it is the story. But God is that movie gorgeous! Hammer kinda running out of steam at this point. Satanic Rites of Dracula, which I, I'm still not convinced was not a just a James Bond ripoff story where they said, uh, but Van Helsing is James Bond and the villain is Dracula. Yeah, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> I'm still not convinced that didn't happen like that. You've got the first Red Brown movie with where he, he gets killed by a snake and a rattlesnake in the shower. <laughs> it's a wonderful movie. You, you've got oh, you yeah. got the political satire with Dean Stockwell, Werewolf of Washington, which is weird to say the least. You've got the original Wicker yeah. Man, but then you've got the film that changed everything, The Exorcist. Nothing yes. was the same after The Exorcist. Yeah, The Exorcist is kind of a big deal. Uh, it's one of the 
few times my my father was my father's not a big horror fan, but I remember being little and him talking about The Exorcist, and that was the only movie like he could not watch. It like terrified him. It's uh, it changed the game, and it's depressing because you have a lot of people now watch it. No. Hey, it's not scary, it's boring, nothing happens. It's like, oh my god, are you kidding me? Like, that movie is still freaky. It is a slow burn build to when things get really creepy. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, but a lot of the stuff that happens in between there, it's not boring. I just, I can't understand that at all. I mean, same thing with people who say that The Omen is boring. It's like, are you kidding me? I just saw The Exorcist in the theater last Halloween. For the first time, well, the first time I ever saw it in the theater, because I wasn't quite born yet when this one came out. It was the first time I ever saw it in the theater. Yeah, that movie is still just unnerving as hell. And I don't understand how people are, uh, shut up, you're an idiot. Stop being stupid. It's all mood. The, the, this year gave us a lot of great horror films that were built on mood, on atmosphere. And the, the Exorcist was definitely game changer. You had people freaking out in the theater. You had people getting sick, walking out, being terrified of it overall. It was a total horror, horror game changer. Like, and it, it deserves its, its place in time. It truly is a very disturbing film, particularly about the last uh, 30 minutes or so with the actual exorcism stuff. But from start to finish, it has such a, an atmosphere of dread throughout the entire film. You, you constantly feel like something horrible uh is is about to happen and it's it's a great film like it really does deserve its its place as one of the absolute horror heavy hitters of the of the 1970s but you'll also notice something else here and i don't think because exorcist didn't come out till the very very end of the year it didn't come out till christmas you'll notice that almost all the movies i read off are american or british there's very few Italian or Spanish movies anymore. No Filipino movies of note this year. I mean, you, okay, you get a, Fr- a French movie like Jess Franco's Virgin Among the Living Dead. You get like a Blind Dead movie from Spain. But you'll notice things are getting less and less international. Because that's 1970, 71, 72, very international. Now... It's almost all American and British, almost all in English, you know, movies that are meant to be shot in English. Sure, you get stuff like Belgium's Female Vampires from Jess Franco, you know, now and then, but you started to see a real change here. This is the year that gave us Satan School for Girls, which, (laughs) I'm sorry, I enjoy that movie. Or Voodoo Black Exorcist, which I also enjoy, but I also want to tell people, Messiah of Evil, I cannot emphasize enough. How amazing Messiah of Evil looks. If it had come out after Exorcist, I would have called it an Exorcist ripoff, but it came out, oh, it wow. came out before. You have to see Messiah of Evil. You have to. Just a great year. Great year overall. But now with the Exorcist changing the game, prior to this, one of the things is, yes, you saw a lot of, you saw a lot of American movies, but they were AIP movies. They were independent studios. They were the Al Adamson movies, the Ted V. Michael movies. You, you, you did see studios dabbling in this, like with the Dr. Fives films and that. But the studios didn't dive into this until after The Exorcist. After The Exorcist broke box office records and cleaned up at the Oscars, all the studios said, holy crap, this horror thing might actually work. Because remember, up to this point, horror is considered a drive-in thing. It's a Saturday afternoon television thing. Horror is not what a real studio puts out. Horror is not that. Now, all of a sudden, after The Exorcist, 
It's it's like right after Star Wars or right after Jaws. The game's totally different now. And 1974 is a little bit is a little bit of it's still playing catch up. So I mean, it, it'll be better in 1975. But in 1974, we've got like Abby, the black exploitation exorcist, and that's literally almost what it is. It's almost the exorcist, but. <laughs> Black exploitation, but you also have Avadido G. Asinitis's Beyond the Door, which, other than changing the possessed from a little girl to the mom in the family, is borderline plagiarism. Although I do, I do happen to yeah. like the all three Beyond the Door movies, but that one's pretty blatant. You know, you've got the bloody exorcism of Coffin Joe. You got Brazil getting in with the Coffin Joe movies, which have been a long staple, and now all of a sudden, you notice how exorcism is the big thing now. You know, you've still got Hammer going with Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell, which I think is one of the weakest of the Frankenstein Hammer movies. You have Larry Cohen getting involved with the It's Alive, the first It's Alive. You've got the amazing Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, which is, you've got the Asian influence coming in with Hammer saying, you know what, we can put Peter Cushing in a Kung Fu movie because we're Hammer, we can do anything (laughs) we want. That's not not the worst thing he's ever done. Lloyd Kaufman's Silent Night, Bloody Night, the thoroughly underrated black exploitation zombie flick, Sugar Hill. You've got Oliver Stone's first feature, Seizure, which is, he might hate it. I really dig Seizure a lot. You've got the, what the hell was that, Killdozer. You have the <laughs> Ghost Galleon, which is the third Blind Dead movie, which I'm 50-50 on. It's kind of the, uh, it's sort of the Jason Takes Manhattan of the, of the Blind Dead series. It's, it's kind of stupid, but it's Well, I, I'm actually a little taken aback by that one, by how they could not make the special effects miss, more mismatched. When they're on the ship, God, those sets, when they're on the ghost, they look amazing. Every time they're off yeah. the ship, it looks like they're just shooting in some dude's apartment. <laughs> I, do, I don't know how, I mean, clearly you had these gorgeous sets, and you can't match them to anything? What, well, I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, but then you've got like Drive-In Massacre. I know Cecil likes this movie, but I did not like Devil Times Five at all. It's corny, but I can understand why you don't like it. We've got the amazing Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, and then we have the next game changer. What I consider the first real slasher movie. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The first real American slasher film. Again, everything changed after that. If no other movies came out besides The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Black Christmas, it still would be an influential year. It still would be a major landmark year. Because both of them are phenomenal movies in their own right. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a little more exploitation-y, even though it's not. People have it in their mind that there's these horrible scenes of dismemberment by Chainsaw and all that. And, I mean, there are a lot of terrifying moments in the film, but it's really not as gory as people think, especially uh, re-watching it after seeing a lot of the more modern or even the Or even its own sequels. Or even its own sequels, exactly. It's relatively tame. Toby Hooper was talking about how he kind of was expecting to get a PG for it when they first made it. But there are some, some terrifying moments. And it is a scary movie, but it's, it's just not as... It doesn't show you as much gore as a lot of people think. But still, I think it's terrifying. what your mind turns it into. Like, even though you're not really seeing blood spill, you're still seeing these scenes of people getting hit in the head with sledgehammers, hung up on hooks you know, sawed up with a, with a chainsaw and people screaming and it just, it feels, it feels intense to the, to the visual senses, but it's really more of what you're hearing and what your brain is, is sort of putting together, which, which makes it probably more violent than seeing a lot of 
what's happening on the screen. There's also another angle to Texas Chainsaw, and I don't want to make this all about Texas Chainsaw, but there's another angle to it. Whether this was intended or not, it depends on who you ask. Some say that was this was an accident. Some say, yes, we meant that, but I don't believe we meant that part, is this was sort of the 70s killing the 60s. Because you got all these kids that are very hippie-ish, very free-love-ish. Oh, yeah. And old-style family unit destroying them. Literally destroying the hippie movement. Now, whether that was an answer to... Remember, Vietnam is just about to end at this point. And they might not have known that, but we're just about to get out of Vietnam. The hippie movement is becoming super annoying in America. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, whether intended or not, is sort of an answer to that. It's killing the hippie movement. Well, it's why it makes it sort of the archetype of uh, of slasher cinema for America and what would become the archetype for it in the 80s is you've got the sort of youth of that era getting destroyed by some sort of tormentor. In this case, it was, you know, backwoods cannibal family that was destroying these like you know pretty kids that were just out to have a good time and this family was like nope nope we're gonna fuck you up kid we're gonna fuck you up and it's gonna be bad and that was sort of what texas chainsaw massacre was and it was what the slashers of the 80s would be as well because you'd have these you know fresh young 80s 80s teens you know fresh off the late 70s uh, teens that were just getting absolutely decimated basically just having their whole life devastated with one move and it's it's pretty much what texas chainsaw massacre was now i personally my highlight film of that year is it's alive i love that film i i considered it to be one of larry cohen's best best pictures ever but you can't deny how influential texas chainsaw massacre would be to the to the subgenre of slashers and of course um it, uh, Black Christmas came out that year too. Black Christmas was also that year. The, the game changers when it, when it came to that. And obviously we had movies like this before with, you know, Mario Baba's Bay of Blood, Sergio Martino's Torso. These were slasher films. They were, they were just made in, in Italy. They were considered giallo. But in terms of American influence, when it really turned the tides and this became like a big thing for horror, like the whole body count slasher thing, you have to give credit to Black Christmas and to Texas Chainsaw Massacre because that really brought in that aesthetic of what would eventually become Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, all that kind of stuff. They absolutely deserve credit for completely changing the game. Just like The Exorcist made everybody want to be like, hey, let's let's make possession movies. The funny thing about Black Christmas that you just said is it's not American. As much as they want you to believe it is with flat, American oh, flags right. everywhere, it's a Canadian. It's one of your movies. Yeah, it's Canadian. So that's not, not an American Canadian, movie. American. Same shit. North American, how's that? North American, it's a North American horror film. There you go. But I, uh, but I want to point out what I think is the most underrated 1974 film, the very unseen House of Seven Corpses. Really unique, it's another slow burn, it's a meta movie. People are trying to make a monster movie inside a house that actually is haunted. And I really enjoy House of Seven Corpses. Nobody else seems to have seen this goddamn movie. But then, strangely enough, 1975 is sort of a weak year for horror. And I'm going to include Jaws in this, and I think it's because Jaws would change everything, but obviously not in enough time for 1975 to catch up. The only notable horror films I've found for 75 would be Night of the Seagulls. It's another Blind Dad movie. You've got the thoroughly horrible Greek movie, Isle of Island of Death, you know, where they the animals and this being greek they might have actually i'm pretty sure they actually did it that's a 
horror horror film in the seventies with animal torture, so they likely actually did it. We didn't have those um what ASPCA is it? Like the animals used in this film weren't harmed. That law wasn't implemented yeah. yet. You've got don't open the door, which is just meh. But then you've got great stuff like. I legitimately love The Devil's Reign. The Devil's Reign is a fantastic movie. People just kind of see, oh, William Shatner and John Travolta. Uh. Yeah, well, Tom Skerritt steals this movie from all of them. That's the well, William Shatner one where he gets his, like, eyes ripped out? Kind of. Or something? Yeah, the, w- 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 yeah one, once they get the... possessed, their eyes come up, but then they all melt at the end, and er- yeah. they all melt in the rain. That, that that's ending is that's... awesome, though, where they're they're mm-hmm. all just melting. And really, Travolta's in it for, like, 30 seconds. Yeah, he's barely <laughs> in it, but I think fantastic. Race with the Devil, again, another possession kind of movie. I mean, it's not a possession movie, but Devil Worshipper movie. You've got the thoroughly detestable Sallow or the 120 Days of Sodom, which I still can't <laughs> believe people defend because that movie is beyond worthless. But then you've got, you've got David Cronenberg's Shivers, which is a great film. You've got, oh, you've got on yeah. television the Dan Curtis trilogy of terror, which scared an entire fucking generation to go to, not want to go to bed. Is that <laughs> the, uh, the, the like weird voodoo sex yeah, doll the voodoo, one? Yeah, the voodoo fetish doll. Yes, the, the <laughs> Zuni fetish. Zuni terrifying. fetish. Yes. <laughs> it's the, the, what is it? The Zuni, Zuni fetish, fetish doll. doll. Yes, I think that would be used as the inspiration for Rotten Cotton's own personal little project, the uh, Black Devil Doll from Hell. But he's more of like a thug now. Except Trilogy of Terror was a TV movie. I yeah, mean, back in the a very intense one. Back in the seventies, guys, you could make TV movies that were fucking scary. It, but there's what might be uh, again. I'm 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 going to include Jaws in there, but we already did a whole retrospective, so we don't need to talk about Jaws. I was fifty fifty on whether I should include this as a horror film from 1975, but this film is still playing in theaters today. So the Rocky Horror Picture Show came out mm. in '75. I mean, I don't consider it a horror film, but it's got horror aesthetics to it. It's really more of a sci-fi movie. A horror horror comedy well because i think it's got more it's got more sci-fi with them being aliens and all this stuff yeah. but uh, you know what it's got horror in the title so fuck all of you it's a it's a horror film and just yeah well, as you said the the aesthetics it's got kind of like a monster movie a classic uh universal monster movie aesthetic to it i i consider it a, a horror film even if it's not really meant to be scary I, i've always considered it kind of more horror satire so it, it counts. But then we come to 1976. 1976 is a weird year because this is where you've got all of the cast-offs. You've got all the ideas that you went, okay then, I see why that didn't work previously. Like, Ape, A-P-E, or Alice Sweet Alice, which is an alright movie, but... He flips off a helicopter. I, th- I, th- I, th- <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was schlock. No, Ape was, was the schlock? one where he, where he grabs the hell, he smashes it, and he, he gives it the finger. I thought that was Schlock, but okay. <laughs> no, that was okay. Ape. But then there's like Alice Sweet Alice, you've got Blood Sucking Freaks, you've got Dan Curtis with Burnt Offerings, Death Machines, the Ronald Marciani. Oh, burnt Offerings deserves to be, uh, that's such a creepy movie. Like, not a lot of people talk about that film. Yeah, it's got burnt such a spooky really vibe to it. We, we're still doing black exploitation. we got Dr. Black and Mr. White. With Bernie Casey. J.D.'s Revenge. We, we've got J.D.'s Revenge this year, but we also have Toby Hooper saying, okay, I'll remake Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but with alligators, with Eaten Alive. Oh, never watch that movie if you're, uh, if you got the flu and you're having cough syrup ever. <laughs> One of Larry Cohen's best movies, 
God told me to, which I, I don't really consider a horror film in the in the general sense, but I guess it's got horror elements to it. You've got William Girdler's, and I know the back story, but hey, let's make Jaws, but with a bear, with Grizzly. You've got the weird Peter Cushing Donald Pleasance movie from Greece, Land of the Minotaur. I remember catching that on a, like late night TV in the early 90s and was like, what the f*** is this? You got Mansion <laughs> of the Doomed, you got The Omen, which I'm going to disagree with you on this one, Cecil. I'm sorry, I found The Omen boring as hell. I liked the sequels a lot. I, I find oh. the sequels better, I'm sorry. Well, I'm not saying that the sequels are bad, but the the original Omen is so freaking creepy. I, I find is. it slow as hell. You got Rattlers, you got Savage Weekend, you got Jeff Lieberman's Killer Earthworms in Squirm. You got the amazingly moody Town That Dreaded Sundown. You have the Track of the Moon Beast, which you know what I, I know most people saw that at Mystery Science Theater. I happen to kind of dig it. You got the weird Spanish movie Who Can Kill a Child. Then you have the the big one. You got Carrie. The first Stephen King movie. I don't like Carrie, but I can't deny what Carrie did in 1976. You don't. You just made it sound like uh, you dated her once and she wasn't that great, but she like fucked good. I don't really like Carrie, but I can't deny what she uh, what she did when we were going out <laughs> in 75, 76. Dude, Carrie is like really good. The whole end sequence with the um uh with the with the, the pig's blood. And, uh, her just locking everybody in and just setting the whole place on fire. It's just amazing. It's really well done. I think it's, oh, it's awesome. Perfectly paced. I don't find it boring at all. And of course, the remake just completely fumbled every aspect of, well, I mean, it was remade twice, really, or there was three the TV times. Version, yeah, in the earlier 2000s. Three, there was the, the, the remake made for TV. Uh, then there was the sequel. The same thing. They they altered it. They had a uh, it was at a party instead of it being the uh, the prom. And then uh, I didn't like I didn't dislike either of them. But really, it's like they weren't the the first remake. You really had a hard time because you're going up against Brian De Palma. Ugh. Yeah. The second one, Car- uh, Carrie Two, The Rage. It like it was different enough. But it was another case of where the girl who they got to, like in, in the first one with Carrie, Sissy Spacek was really weird and gawky and, and they did a good job of playing her up to be like very awkward. The you remake- can buy her as somebody who might get bullied, whereas like in the, the most recent remake getting, uh, getting hit girl who is like super cute. Yeah. Like, really? Are you trying to... No, this is not a person that would be bullied. You're not... You're pulling my influential year, though. Uh, particularly Town the Dreaded Sundown, which arguably you could say was the inspiration for Jason's first adult look, the, the whole sack thing. Uh, Carrie, of course, uh, was, was a big, big name in, in horror films, a movie that, that's still talked about to, today, a uh, King film that's still talked about. Good year. Another another fantastic year for uh, for horror cinema. But then we get to 1977, and there's a lot of interesting movies this year. For instance, we get The Car. We get Audrey Rose. We get Day of the Animals, which I think is one of the best animal attack movies ever, but that's just me. We get the weird art film Deathbed, The Bed That Eats. We get (laughs) Demon Seed. David Lynch falls onto the scene with a racer head. We've got Good versus Evil, which is actually not... Good Against Evil, which is actually not a movie. It was a feature-length TV pilot that wasn't picked up, but whatever. You got Hills Have Eyes. 
You've got Shatner with Kingdom of the Spiders. You have Last, which is phenomenal. I agree. You've got you've got Last Cannibal World, Diodato coming into the the cannibal genre. You have the Weird the Pack. You have Cronenberg's Rabid, which is probably more relevant now than it was then. You have the amazing The Sentinel, which is another mood, moody as hell one. You got Graydon Clark's Satan's Cheerleaders, the weird Nazi dentist, zombie movie, Shockwaves. You got Argento with Suspiria. You've got Ray Cardona Jr. and Hugo, Hugo Stiglitz killing animals again in Tintorera, which means fuck you, Rene Card- Cardona Jr. He loves to kill actual animals in his movies, so him but there's Bert I Gordon's Empire of the Ants I don't care fuck all of you I really enjoy and then there's Tentacles the Avidido Giasinitis movie with John Huston and Bo Hopkins and Shelley Winters and Peter Fonda I love the movie Tentacles don't know why I mean maybe when when a monster movie kills a little baby in a stroller in the first five minutes it sets a tone I don't know Exorcist to the Heretic one of the most beautiful train wrecks ever made. Nobody can say the movie doesn't look amazing. That's all they'll say. Another pretty wild year for for horror in general. A lot of the ones listed, uh, I would consider uh, at least not just favorites, but just ones that I enjoy putting on on a, on a lazy, rainy Sunday afternoon. Oh, and I forgot to mention Orca, the killer whale, where Dino De Laurentiis said, yes. I can make Jaws. Better, and I'm gonna bite Bo Derek's leg off, and the orca is gonna be a serial killer. And shut up! <laughs> it's not not even a serial killer. It's fucking Charles. Yeah, Boston. it's getting revenge on Richard Harris for killing its baby. <laughs> Vigilante whale that messes up a great white shark in like the first five minutes. Because that, that orca. Because back. that's what's called subtlety to DEG films to, to Dino. Yeah, they wanted to really uh, stick to Jaws. And they, they learned a, a very hard lesson. You missed Hasu! I've never been a fan of that movie. I mean, yes, I guess it deserves to be mentioned, but why everyone's, oh, the, what do they call the Japanese house? You know, because when you say house, you immediately think of William Cat and Richard Mall. Right. But when you say the Japanese house, I've never liked the movie, but, but yeah, it does deserve mention. It's just, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's, there's no other way to describe it. It is uh, a movie where they kind of throw everything they can into a blender. It's like watching movie. a ghost movie on acid, but while you're straight. That's that's a pretty good description of it. It really is. And I hate the whole, oh, it's this on crack. No, it really is. It is a visual acid trip. Dan, I love Kingdom of the Spiders. Uh, the Car is just a wacky movie. Uh, Deathbed. Empire of the Ants is, is really good. Um, Exorcist 2 is uh, not as strong as the first one, but I always thought that it was a, a decent follow-up. The Hills Have Eyes. I like, I love Wes Craven, but I've always felt that, um, the remake was one that actually, in a rare case, actually did a better job than the original. I still Agreed. think that it's good, but the remake just took the idea and really went in some much different directions with it, and it just felt overall like a better film. Uh, it felt more sh- like what it should have been. Right, it felt more like what it should have been than what we got. Now, granted, I know there were budget limitations and whatnot and problems that he had with doing the original. I do think that the the remake really nailed it. And then, of course, the studio... Well, I'm not even going to get into that. Studio botched the sequel. Cheerleaders, another fun Graydon Clark movie. Suspiria is just brilliant. I still haven't seen the remake. I just keep pushing it off because it, it looks very brown and boring. 
Yeah, Whereas, like, like, what's the point? The thing that made the original cool and kind of undoes it. Like, plot to the original Suspiria might be a, a little wacky, and it can be kind of psychedelic at times, but I feel like that's the whole point. It's a lot of those earlier Argento movies were all about kind of style and weirdness and, and color atmosphere. and those great goblin atmosphere. Yeah, those great goblin scores. So it's like, to take that and, and make, like, basically just a desaturated uh witch movie is like, eh. I, I will not watch the Suspiria remake. I refuse. I was put off when I saw the director in an interview, and he said, this is not a remake, and I, I'm, I'm almost quoting here. This is not verbatim, but I'm pretty close. He said, this is not a remake of Suspiria. It's a remake of the emotions I felt while watching Suspiria. Suck your own dick a little bit more, you pretentious cocksucker. Yeah, really. Wow. That's, that's yeah. something else. 1978. So... 1978 is not a super strong year, but it's got a lot of notable entries here. There's Are You Alone in the House, early Dennis Quaid movie. You've got Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. We did a whole retrospective on it. You have Jeff Lieberman, who I just made fun of the year earlier for Squirm. I think Blue Sunshine is a fantastic movie, and actually one that's more relevant today than it was in 1978. You've got Damien, Omen 2, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Come on amazing. Dawn of the Dead is is just one of the best movies of all time. You have John Carpenter's Halloween, which ushers in the slash movie, which we've talked about a billion times. You have the original I Spit on Your Grave, which is a hard movie to sit through, but I, I get it. Larry Cohen's It Lives Again. You got Jaws 2, Lost Weekend. You got Patrick, the Australian killer with, a mi- killer with his mind movie, which I think is a better idea than it is a film. You got Dante's original Piranha, the weird Al Adamson Nurse Sherry, or The Possession of Nurse Sherry. You've got The Redeemer, Son of Satan, Spawn of Slithis, which we've talked about before. You've got John Carradine and John Saxon in The Bees! The Bees! Bees! Biz, 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 oh, you biz, got, biz. You got John Carradine talking to bees. Yes! But the two I really want to talk about from 78 are Martin, because here's the thing with George Romero's Martin. I don't like this movie but I love the idea of it. I think the idea of this vampire that's not a vampire, that thinks he's a vampire, and he's... It, it, it's such a great idea. I just find the movie boring as sin, and I hate every single character in the film. I think Martin is one of those rare times where I would like a remake, because it's such a good idea that I think was botched in 1978, because I've tried multiple times to get into Martin, and I just, I cannot get into this movie, man. I just think the idea is so brilliant when you say it out loud, but the movie does not work for me. But the big one I want to talk about, Invasion of the Body Snatchers 78. This movie is without a doubt the best film of 1978. It's so gorgeously directed. It's so oppressive. There is such an amazing atmosphere. Nice seeing Leonard Nimoy play a villain, which you don't get to, get to see very often. Philip Kaufman's Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a movie that was so far ahead of its time, no one knew in 1978, but in a modern context... Look at it in people being absorbed into their smartphones and becoming addicted, becoming addicted to Facebook and things like that. Invasion of the Body Snatchers 78 is actually more relevant than the original Body Snatchers, I think. Well, the original Body Snatchers was more about the, uh, the communism. Of communism, yeah. And this one was, uh, just more, uh, about like self-identity and stuff. 
It's a fantastic movie. It's absolutely brilliant. It's another case of where I do think, like, I prefer the, uh, the 78 version, but I still think that the, the original version is good. It's just, they are two different movies and they are two movies that you can watch and have two separate experiences because they have the basic foundation, but they are different. Uh, I think they're fantastic. Also about Invasion of the Body Snatchers 78. Could you have made a more downer ending than those last two minutes? Oh yeah, it's it's just devastating. It's really just a, a, a great movie across the board. Uh, Halloween and um, Dawn of the Dead are both uh, landmark, fantastic films. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is always fun. Uh, Blue Sunshine is just fantastic, and not a lot of people know about it. Omen Two is great. Long Weekend is terrific. Long Weekend is uh, Aussie. Is, uh, it's, yeah, it's an Aussie movie where basically this couple are just complete, completely awful, just taking advantage of nature. And nature has finally had enough and starts uh, rebelling and going after it's it was very small. So you don't know if this is happening all over Australia, but it's basically nature coming back. And the, the tagline was nature found them guilty and just <laughs> just striking back against them. But it's a really good movie. It's not uh, I don't think it's what a lot of people think it is, but uh, it's a cool film. Oh, and uh, of course, uh, Dante's Piranha is always a lot of fun. Well, a year of two of the greatest horror films of all time, Dawn of the Dead and Halloween. Like, if there's two movies that you see from that year, it should at least be those two. Well, but then we go into 1979, and to a degree, 1979 is a strange year. Some of these movies, some of these movies very much are, you can see the 80s cresting. You can see the 80s about to happen. And some of these are still... Wow, that is really, really 70s. You've got the Amityville Horror, which I think is really a 70s movie. We talked about it in our retrospective. I find it boring as sin. You got Beyond the Darkness from D'Amato. You've got the John Badham, Frank Langella, Dracula, which I, I know I'm being a petty bitch. I cannot take Dracula seriously with a freaking white guy afro. I'm sorry. Frank Langella's hair just makes him a comical villain in this. You've got the human experiments. You've got Margaretti's Killer Fish, which is better than it probably has a right to be. You've got Nightwing, which would be okay if it wasn't so goddamn preachy. Nightwing needed some editing. The movie doesn't need to be as long as it is. You've got Herzog's amazing remake of Nosferatu with Klaus Kinski. One of the few times that you go... While the remake's actually better than the original, which is fantastic on its own. Don Coscarelli hitting with Phantasm. You have the John Frankenheimer prophecy where the kid gets exploded in the sleeping bag. You've got <laughs> wonderful. You got Streams of a Winter Winter's Night. You have the weird Australian vampire movie Thirst. You got Tourist Trap, which I've never liked, but I understand a lot why a lot of people do. You've got Up from the Depths, the Charles B. Griffith movie. Have you been raped? You've got When a Stranger Calls. You've got Zombie 2 or Zombie, you know, Lucio Fulci, which again, very much is, is almost a 1980 kind of movie just in style. But then you've got these super notable movies. Personally, The Visitor, which might be one of my all-time favorite films. Bizarre, Paige Connor, Franco Nero, John Huston. What the f***? Okay. You talk, Cecil, about House being an acid trip. The Visitor is almost one of those, but played 100% straight. You got Abel Ferrara's Driller Killer, which I went into great depths on back when I worked for Night Flight, which I think is very notable. You got Cronenberg's The Brood. Then you have the one that we have to talk about, and that's Alien. To me, Alien doesn't feel like a 1970s movie. It feels like an 80s movie. Okay, you got a little bit of the hairstyles, and that's about all that feels 70s in Alien. To me, Alien 
was almost literally the death of the 70s and saying, bring it on, 80s. Oh, absolutely. Another banner year, again, with a lot of super influential films. You know, we got, uh, we got Alien coming into play, which is definitely feels like the 80s coming in as well as, uh, as well as Fulci's Zombie feels more like the, the kind of horror films that were very, very blood soaked. Uh, and sleazy that we would, uh, begin to see in the, in the 1980s. Just, just a great year that, uh, was basically preparing us for what horror would be, uh, throughout the 1980s. And also, come on, Killer Fish, where else are you gonna see Lee Majors beating James Franciscus over the head with an oar while they're both being eaten by piranha? <laughs> yeah, there's some amazing films. Uh, Alien, Beyond the Darkness, uh, <laughs> Driller Killer is, is always, <laughs> Phantasm. I know you want to talk about prophecy. I know you do. Well, I mean, I kind of talked about prophecy in, in my video. I mean, yeah, the chainsaw fight. Yeah, the uh, the the bear that like launches the kid in the banana <laughs> thing. <laughs> Kevin Peter Hall's uh, first film. Yeah, Kevin Peter Hall. They, they and it something. was also what cemented Hollywood North. It was uh, one of the first big-ish movies to be filmed in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of history with prophecy. It is, and it's it's just a neat movie. I'm honestly, I'm kind of amazed it hasn't been remade. I don't want it remade, but I'm kind of amazed it hasn't been. When it comes to prophecy, the thing that I always remember was seeing the little monster and the egg from the poster. Yeah. On the on the very second issue of Fangoria, the first mm. issue of Fangoria was Godzilla. Second issue cover was Prophecy, and I had no wow. idea. I just remember seeing that weird little, it, it almost looked like, remember the Star Child from 2001? It looked like that, but a, as a mutant is right. what that poster looked like, and I remember the very second issue of Fangoria, that was the cover. Wow. And I just remember the, being like, oh movies, wow. Of all the movies they could have picked, that's, that's an interesting choice. Zombie 2, or, you know, just zombie, depending on, on where you get it. That or movie. zombie flesh eaters, Z- zombie flesh eaters if you're in the UK. <laughs> that movie always terrified me. It's so unbelievably good. The, the splinter through the eye is terrifying. The zombie versus the shark. The there's music. So, the music. There's so much memorable about it. The One thing, music is really what makes it kind of like, you know, what's transitioning into the 80s. But it's a lot of like moody sort of synth. Uh, synthesizer keyboard kind of music, like more of the kind of stuff we'd see in the, in the eighties. One thing that I, I learned while I'm looking into it, I'm going to do a video on it eventually, but, uh, you, the big scene at the end where the building is burning down, uh, on one side, they were filming Zombie, and on the other side, they were filming Dr. Butcher. In the same location at the same time. <laughs> the, Ital- the Italians were nothing if not frugal. They certainly knew how to stretch a dollar. When it comes to 1979, like I said, look at some of those movies. Like Tourist Trap kind of feels early 80s. Thirst, the Australian vampire flick, really has an 80s vibe to it. And we weren't even in the 80s yet. Phantasm, if not for the hairstyles kind of has an 80s vibe to it. There's a weirdness with 1979 where it was almost like we were already in the 80s. You know how we always say, I mean, I think Peter said it earlier in this episode, you know, the 70s didn't really start till like 1973. In a weird way, the 80s already started in 1979. Yeah, it's true. It's weird how, how that works out. No, that's absolutely true. Like, I don't know, Phantasm does feel like more of an 80s movie. Zombie feels like an 80s movie. Alien, I always 
associate for some reason with the with the early 80s. It feels more like even some of the outfits and some of the dialogue feels more feels more 80s. It feels like the 80s couldn't contain themselves. They just had to start. I agree with that. So, what do you guys think of the set of horror films in the 70s in general? Obviously, we got a lot of classics out of this. We got a lot of turds as well. We got a lot of classics, but do you think the 70s can hold its own over next week's topic of the 1980s. Well, considering I just did a documentary about the 80s, I'm going to say <laughs> no. Uh, and I love the 70s, but the 80s was just a magical time. Well, you can't deny that the 70s had a ton of game changers that would be the influence for the 1980s, which I will say the 80s has more of my favorite movies, but the 70s... Had it not been for the 70s, those 80s movies would not happen. Like, the, the 70s had so many game changers that helped develop the 80s and 90s world of, of horror that you just, you can't deny. You can't deny that influence. So, on that note, where can we find Cecil just wallowing in the 70s and probably being one of the sallow people because he's always wrong? That's a movie I, I can understand people not liking it. And I am on the fence of it. it. It's an awful movie, but it deserves the recognition. But there are much better movies out. Black Christmas. Okay, see, I have this weird thing. People defend it as an art film. And, it, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, uh, no, it's just an exploitation movie that somehow fooled everybody into thinking it's an art movie. It's not. It's shit-eating and tongue-cutting and raping, and it's not an art film, and you're all fucking stupid! Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Cecil. Well, see, that's when you get... That's why you get people that write you angry letters. Because you call everybody stupid. If they if they would stop acting stupid, I would stop calling them stupid. I told you not to be stupid, you moron. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but mine is the right one. <laughs> hey, you know, if uh, if I'm if I'm late today, I can be early tomorrow. You'll be stupid forever. Where can people find Cecil? You can find me uh being correct over at uh, goodbadflicks.com, as well as Good Bad Flicks on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. Where can people find Peter watching that great American film, Black Christmas? Oh. <laughs> well, there you go, people. You know, Canada does make some pretty awesome stuff, not just, uh, not just Justin Bieber. You can find me on the Twitters going on about my favorite films of the 70s and 80s at Cinematica on YouTube, The Cinemasticist, and Facebook, The Cinemasticist, on 1201beyond.com, Patreon at Cinematica, and I just put out a kind of new project video with a buddy-slash-colleague of mine, Jesse Wood. It is called Buff Movie Buffs. The pilot is out, and we just we talk about movies we like. Go check it out. It's like, it's 38 minutes long, so I, I don't, um, I, I understand if you don't want to sit through two guys rambling on about stuff but i i thought it was very fun it's near and dear to my heart i'll also be putting out some uh halloween related videos later but yes money patreon at zinematica support me and support us ports radiodrome josh well then you can find us at 1201beyond.com we have a patreon just look for 1201beyond.com at patreon don't forget the nord thing 1201beyond.com backslash drome vpn the adam and eve code drome but you can also contact us and tell me your thoughts on freaking salo at 1201beyond at gmail.com and no matter what you say you will be wrong keep the people that like salo are the same people that defend that shitty fucking antichrist movie oh my Call god that in film. the default one yeah. where he gets dick with a hammer and she jerks yeah. the blood out of his cock yeah that's an art film go fuck yourself try to be a cut above
Don't watch Sallow, and keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night, shit eaters. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Just a jump to the left. And then to the right. With your hands on your hips. into the time slip and nothing can ever be the same you're spaced out on sensation like you're under Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.